when it came to the big money, women weren't represented. So it was like these two things were going on for me that made me realize that I wasn't going to be fulfilled where I was, that my mission had to be much bigger and it had to be empowering women not only through using my voice but through using my knowledge and skill set to help get wealth into the hands of women because it's statistically proven that when women have wealth they enhance the communities around them. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblett, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hello, ladies and listeners. Thank you for coming back to Her Drive Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia, aka Cindy Cramplett. And I'm pumped for today's discussion with my guest, Caitlin Carlson, because she is a woman who knows all about monies, all about the monies. <laughs> and um, I think it's super important to not only be Uh, physically, emotionally uh, fit, but also financially fit. And I'm also a small business owner. So this discussion about where she has explored into the financial world and and really found her niche is super interesting to me in helping small business owners. So welcome Kaylin Carlson to the show. Please tell me your business and a little bit more about yourself. Thank you, Cindy. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, sure. So I founded Theory Planning Partners um, just over a year ago, um, going back a little bit before that. So I've been in the finance industry for over 10 years. I originally started in asset management, um, which some people know as mutual funds. And then I ended up moving into wealth management, which is working with families and individuals um, that typically have a high net worth. So they have a lot in the way of assets and I would help them navigate investing those assets, managing and protecting those assets. Um, and so when I was doing that, I was with uh, one of the largest wealth management firms in the world and I did over 300 financial plans. So I got a pretty wide variety of exposure to all the different types of wealth, um, specifically in, in America and a couple cases international. Um, but one thing that happened while I was doing this that I noticed was I never did a financial plan for a self-made woman. And that was pretty devastating as a young woman in the profession to recognize so early. Um, so I went through my own personal development journey through my twenties. Um, you know, I went through a series of failed partnerships all with men and I just felt like life was finally pushing me in the direction of stepping into my own power. And, um, I have always been super passionate about supporting female business owners. So I decided to launch theory to teach female business owners how to build personal wealth alongside the growth of their business. Mm. So that's where I am today. Right on. Well, um, I think you touched on so many important things. One being your own journey and how it kind of nudged you towards 
um, becoming a more powerful female and as an individual. And that then almost always leads to wanting to lift up others around you. And what better way to do it than use the, the skills that you have Yes, it's so true. And there, you know, there were a couple of things that happened to me while I was working in the finance industry, um, or that I experienced, I should say, which is not only was I not doing financial plans for women, I also, um, went through a tremendous amount of sexual harassment while I was in the financial industry. So, um, you know, I had to file, more than a few sexual harassment claims to protect myself and my colleagues. And, you know, I was simultaneously seeing that when it came to the big money, women weren't represented. So it was like these two things were going on for me that made me realize that I wasn't going to be fulfilled where I was, that my mission had to be much bigger. Um, and it had to be empowering women, not only through using my voice, but through using my knowledge and skill set to help get wealth into the hands of women because, you know, it's statistically proven that when women have wealth, they enhance the communities around them. And so just like you said, Cindy, like, you know, going through that type of experience, um, it just, it really sharpened my passion to lift other women up. That's fantastic. Well, can you dive a little bit more into, I guess the genesis of you wanting to go into the financial world, what did that look like? How old were you and, and what was your mindset around it? Yes, absolutely. So, um, I knew from a pretty early age that I wanted to go into finance. When I was eight years old, my grandfather bought me one share of Disney Mm. and I was so disappointed that I didn't get a tangible gift. Mm -hmm. Um, but he explained to me that, you know, that one share was going to grow into many shares over the course of my lifetime. And he started explaining to me how the stock market worked. And, you know, I was asking him, I was like, well, if I'm not working for this money, then like, how am I getting paid more money? And so from when I was a little kid, I started to understand the concepts of investing and compound interest and how, when it comes to investing time is the greatest advantage that you have. So he planted that seed in my head pretty early. He himself, he was a venture capitalist. Um, but my dad was also in the finance industry. And so, I mean, finance is just this like huge industry with so many different channels and avenues underneath it. But from when I was little, I I pictured myself there. Um, what happened as I got older and I went through high school and college, I actually became a psychology major in college because I was fascinated by, you know, like what drives us and why we make certain decisions and what informs our relationships to other people and our thought processes. Um, and so I was super intrigued by that, but I, I still had finance in the background. So, um, after I graduated college, I, I started with Putnam Investments, um, which was an internship that I had had throughout college. And that's where I learned how to study international equities. Um, but that would have left me stuck in a cubicle and I'm much more of a people facing person. Uh, so when I was at Putnam, I started to learn what financial advisors did. And I learned that they worked with 
families and individuals to help them shape their relationship around money, both psychologically and also from more of a tactical, strategic implementation standpoint. And I felt like, you know, what better marriage between my interests than, than something like that, where I'm using both psychology and um, finance and investing to help improve lives. So that kind of led me towards the financial advising industry. And I was really excited to get my CFP, which is my certified financial planning designation. Um, and so what that is, is that gives you a big overview of um, investing taxes, cash flow planning, insurance, estate planning, um, and uh, like risk management, all things that would just absolutely bore my sister to tears. Mm-hmm. So it's not made for everyone, <laughs> but I found it, I found it super exciting and intriguing, you know, all the different strategies and loopholes that you can take advantage of to, to build personal wealth. Amazing. Yeah. I have taken like my exposure to financial um, courses was in college. Um, someone was like, you should take a financial planning course. I'm like, what's out there? And all they had was like intro to finance. Um, and it was really interesting and fascinating. And the lessons that I learned in that little course (laughs) have been very helpful for me for the last God, like 11 years. Um, but to dive in the way that you did, I don't know that I ever could. Like there's so many things (laughs) I feel like so inspired by, but whenever I dive into my financials and I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I don't understand. This is like a whole different language and some things just click. So I'm really grateful to have uh, ladies like you out there for for people like me. (laughs) Yeah. Not many people get, um, get excited to like reorganize student debt and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of this weird thing that I fell in love with. And it's funny, my husband and I were living in New Orleans when I was studying for my CFP. So I was literally at Mardi Gras with flashcards. I mean, I can't think of like, a more boring way to go about Mardi Gras, but, but it helped. I ended up passing. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, what that's called is dedication. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Or like work-life balance. I had a beer in one hand and flashcards in the other. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm diving deeper into learning um, Spanish right now and just it's expanding my vocabulary and that's, I'm doing the same thing. Like I just have flashcards with me everywhere I go. Like my boyfriend's driving us and, and I'm just memorizing flashcards, not as important as finances, but <laughs> relate to you. Yes, of course. What made you decide to pick up Spanish? Uh, I've been studying it for a long time. Um, but I just, there's certain words that I need to have a grasp on and they're just not in my vocabulary. So mm. that's all. it'll help me in, in certain certain avenues when communicating. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. I, when I was in high school, I spent a summer in Spain and I lived with a family and I got so good at it. And now I'm like embarrassed because I go to look for that word and I, you know, it's truly like you use it or you lose it. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Totally. Good for you. Thank you. Um, so back to your story in that, um, you, you get into, um, in, into the industry and you're working and you, you'd mentioned that you're being sexually harassed. Uh, what did that look like? Yeah. So, um, this is something that I, I kept to myself for quite a while, but I 
want to start talking about it and normalizing it because what I've found is that every woman I talk to tends to have a story or can Mm -hmm. relate in some fashion. So, um, basically my husband got a job opportunity to move us down to Louisiana and I was supportive of that. So we left Boston and we moved down to Louisiana and that's when I switched from asset management to wealth management. And, um, I left Putnam and I moved over to UBS and literally my first week at UBS, I was sexually harassed by a 68 year old financial advisor there. Mm. Um, and he, said that in order he wanted to mentor me. And, um, and at the time I was coming in as a financial planner. So what my job was, was to develop relationships with financial advisors and do financial plans for their clients. So it's my first week. I'm supposed to be going around developing rapport with financial advisors. And this one advisor pulls me into his office over a series of days and, um, says that he'd like to mentor me. Um, but that in order to mentor me, we need to build trust. And in order to do that, I need to feel comfortable going into another room and taking my clothes off in front of him. (gasps) Yes. There were many, many worse things that he said. Um, He described my body in vile ways and said that this was just a psychological test uh, and that I passed. Um, he asked me if my bra clipped in the front or the back. He described my body parts and what they probably looked like. Um, it was a just humiliating, demoralizing and horrifying situation that I found myself in. And, um, he did it on purpose. You know, I, I was new to the office and so he felt like he could use that as leverage. And he even said, so, um, he said, if you report this, no one knows you, no one will believe you. Ew. What? Yeah. There's so many profanities that want to come out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So a series of time this was going on or was it in like one incident? So I could tell, and it's funny because I had my psychology background and yet that still doesn't equip you for real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could tell that he had done it before, um, because he was so slow moving and intentional in the way it was almost like a grooming situation mm-hmm. where it started off more innocent. And, um, I, I'm thankful that it escalated so quickly that it was, it was just over the course of a week. Um, but it, it progressed in inappropriateness and he kept leveraging the fact that I needed to develop rapport with advisors to have me come down to his office. And then he would close the door and then he would start asking me questions that were uncomfortable and leading it towards this type of conversation. And, um, and you know, when you're in the moment, it's just, you're just kind of like, is this really happening? Mm -hmm. You know, like, am I crazy? And he was gaslighting me in the process by saying that like, this was just a game and a test and this was going to make me a good investor because I could handle pressure. Um, come to find out, um, So, you know, by the fifth day of him doing this, I went home to my now husband, but boyfriend at the time and, um, who actually was a wholesaler at the time. So he, he actually knew this advisor. And I said, does this guy like, 
give you weird vibes. And he was like, oh yeah, he seems a little off. And then we went to the gym and I just kind of felt like, should I just shake this off? I don't know. And then we got to the gym and I just started hysterically crying. Mm. And I just told Jake like what he had said. And he was like, you have to report this. Um, and I was like, no, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Um, I don't, I, I truthfully, I was just scared. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I didn't know if they didn't fire him, if there would be retaliation against me. I didn't know what it would mean for my career because he was right. Like no one knew me. Um, but I'm extremely grateful that I, I ended up going to my manager and we met at a Starbucks and I told him everything that happened and he reported it. Um, and over a two week period, which was like the scariest period of my life, they did an investigation and they found that not only had he done this to other women and previous interns, um, other women that were still in the office, but happened to be in subordinate positions. Um, he had done this at previous firms as well. Hmm. And the most disturbing thing is he's now at another firm, another financial services firm. So, um, it's quite infuriating. The sad part is that it didn't stop there. I had to file five more claims in three years against him, Um, not, not against him, against other people. Um, and I am not like an easily offended person. So you can only imagine the amount of things that were said to me before I even got to that point. And yet, you know, I felt like the first one was for me, but I continued to get comments like, um, how much do you weigh? Um, how much do your bridesmaids weigh? Or, um, you know, in one case, an advisor said, urged a client to come in because I was so nice to look at, um, which mm-hmm. is just like completely objectifying me versus, you know, acknowledging me for my skill set. Um, or like when I got engaged, you know, people coming up to me and saying, like, I'm so sorry to hear that. And just like, um, in one case, someone coming up to me and saying, um, I'm really sad that you decided to wear a pantsuit today. I loved staring at your legs yesterday. Oh my God. Yeah. Or I could tell you were attractive by the way you sounded on the phone. Um, you know, just like these comments that were in passing and like considered, I, I don't even know, considered as jest, um, you know, and, and in some cases they were even managers. It was just like, I felt like the first one I did for myself and the next five I did for every woman before me and every woman after me. Um, because with that first one, I wouldn't have had a leg to stand on if there wasn't a paper trail before me. And so I felt like when these things were happening, you know, some of them I was just kind of like, okay, maybe that's, you know, not intentional. But the thing is like, it, it makes women uncomfortable. Like women are there to work. They're not there to be objectified. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like a right away thing. Like they'd say these things, but then it would happen over and over and over. Like those were just things I could think of off the top of my head. And then I'd like get to this boiling point and I'd just be like, you know what, this is ridiculous. Like I I apparently have to go back to HR to report this stuff so that if something else happens to another woman, like she has, she has a leg to stand on. So, um, 
but yeah, it was a pretty, uh, <laughs> it was a pretty exhausting few years. Um, that really made me question my passion for the industry. It was such a distraction from what I was actually there to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it etched away at my confidence, you know, I was just like, why, why am I here? Why was I hired? Like, is, is it because I'm a great planner? Is it because I'm good at investing or is it because apparently like I look good in a dress, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm just speaking totally, <laughs> totally candidly here. Absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that. And, uh, as you said, it probably every woman has gone through sexual harassment, if not once, but many, many times in her life, both in her social life, but then at, at the workplace, I know I certainly have. Um, so whoa, what would, what would be your response in those situations? Would you just kind of like shrug it off, ignore them, play along, tell them directly, like buzz off. Like, yeah. So that's the thing where I always try to say, like, there's no shame in how you handled the situation because I think socially, especially women, we are trained to just normalize things Mm -hmm. and to laugh it off or to try to make it as normal as possible. In a lot of those cases, um, I did just try to normalize it um, until it got to the point where um, the same person had been saying pretty offensive things repeatedly, um, and that's when I took it to HR. I will say in a lot of cases, I tried to normalize it. In a few cases, I actually did say something in the moment. Okay. Um, so it was a little bit of a mix and it's sad to say, like, there were just so many instances (laughs) that I can pick from, um, that, yeah, it was a mixed bag of addressing it in the moment or just trying to make light of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but really it was just so off putting that like I would go home and I wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it. Like, why are you staring at my legs all day at a conference? You know, I'm sitting there trying to learn and it's just, I don't know. It was creepy. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's creepy. It's disgusting. And it's creepy. And I just think like, how, how could someone sit there and do that and be okay with consciously choosing to make someone uncomfortable. Like you can't tell me that's that a person can't control themselves and they're not aware of what they're doing. Like, yes. And I even had someone say that to me in an instance, he said, I don't think I can control myself around you. Like as if that's my problem. Yeah. This goes back to the, like the women, you need to cover your bodies because that, that way the men aren't aren't out of control. They can control themselves if you're covered. Like, please, no. (laughs) <laughs> that was literally that exact phrase was said to me in Ick. one in one of the instances. Ick. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Well, if for women who are listening to this and, and men too, because I know men are sexually harassed. My boyfriend is harassed by me all the time, <laughs> in like a playful way. Um, um, but um, for those who are going through this or something like it, what's your advice for them? Um. My advice is, you know, one thing that my manager said that I really appreciated was, but I I really didn't take advantage of was he said, if they make you uncomfortable, make them uncomfortable back. Mm 
Um, and so if you feel like, I I feel like it's so personality dependent. Mm -hmm. So the best advice that I can give to every woman is to listen to your intuition. Mm -hmm. And if it feels uncomfortable to you, that's because it is, that's because it's made you feel uncomfortable and it can be a voice that you try to suppress, but it's there. And the more comfortable that you can get listening to your intuition and listening to your gut, um, the better off you'll be. I mean, I will say the silver lining to this whole experience is that I got extremely in tune with myself Mm. and I actually take the time now to think about how I feel. And it has positively impacted my life. You know, once I got out of that situation since then to, to be so in tune with myself, um, but I did a lot of suppressing and lying to myself in the process of getting there. So it's not always an easy process, but if you can start to create space for yourself, you know, maybe if it's even just like a little bit of time for yourself in the morning or at night, that is one thing that I wish I did. I wish that I created space to get quiet and see what came up Mm -hmm. because I do that now. Um, but I think it could have potentially maybe saved me some pain and agony if I allowed myself to have that space in my twenties. Mm-hmm. That, so. that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So when you, when you're giving your space now, like what, what are your rituals look like? Are they daily, weekly, monthly? I try to make them daily. Um, I do have a six month old, so they were more daily <laughs> before he was here. Um, but it is, and it's hard at first, it's really hard to do, but I think once you start creating a habit, I mean, I, for me now it's about like five or 10 minutes. If Mm -hmm. I can just give myself five or 10 minutes before I start my work day or sometimes even at night, because I tend to be like an energized person. So I try to give myself five to 10 minutes somewhere in the day, almost like brushing my teeth. Like I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I it allows myself to be completely honest with myself, and I also don't judge myself for my thoughts anymore for what comes up. I just allow them to come, and I just observe them. Um, and it's really interesting how that has led to. That's what led me to start my business. Mm. Um you know, because I, I kept pretty much unconsciously jumping from burning platform to burning platform in the form of partnerships. And because it's such a male dominated industry, Mm -hmm. I, I had one male partner that person sexually harassed me physically on multiple business trips. Um, so, you know, that was the last claim that I filed and then I left. Um, but then I got into another partnership with a male. And then I got into one more partnership with a male and I finally had to be like, what am I? This is, this has, this is me, you know, this has to do with me if this keeps happening. So I feel like life brought me to the brink of, you need to check in with yourself. And once I started checking in with myself, I was like, who, who is it that I really want to serve? Who is it that I really want to work with who would light me up every single day to where I don't even feel like I'm working. And that's how I got my answer. And that was female business owners. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how to respond to that because it's, that's so well stated. 
and I can easily follow your journey and how you would get there. So when you, I guess like move into, you know, starting your business, was there, how, how did you do that? Was there fear associated with it? What were you excited? Like what was, what was happening as you were moving into supporting female business owners? Yes. Yeah, so it is scary. I mean, you know, starting a business is so much trial and error and I was such a perfectionist. So I, it was like a little pair. I mean, the first thing that I did was I got organized and I looked at the numbers and I was like, okay, can I do this? You know, I had a small book of business. And so I put together an Excel spreadsheet and I, I listed out realistically what my expenses would be and what my income would be to start. And it was pretty much just enough to break even maybe make a small profit. Um, and I talked to my husband about it and he was like, thank God, thank God you are not continuously leaning into partnerships. Like you need to step into your own power. So, you know, as bad as my work experiences were, I'm incredibly grateful for the partner that I chose in life. Mm -hmm. Um, because he has just been so incredibly supportive. Um, but yeah, we took a look at the numbers and we basically were like, okay, can we live off of Jake's salary? Um, and so we decided to, you know, get lean, um, and, uh, make it work so that I could launch this business. And the scary thing though, is like you, there's a lot of pressure on you to make it work. Right. So, (laughs) and I, I needed help with that. So once I ran the numbers and I was like, okay, I can break even the first year. We can live off of Jake's salary. We have insurance through his job. Then I was like, oh shoot, it's everything is on me. Like I, I, it's on me to grow this company. It's on me to be the operations and everything behind that. Um, but the most intimidating thing to me was the growth. So one of the first things that I did was I invested in a sales coach And she helped me tremendously, not only from sales techniques, so to speak, but also with my mindset, because what I've realized is that, you know, 80 to 90% of running a business is mindset Mm -hmm. and you have to continuously nurture your mindset. Um, and serendipitously, she also became the inspiration for me designing theory the way that I did. So she is a, um, a seven figure female entrepreneur. She's made high six figures into seven figures for the last nine or 10 years. And she said to me, um, Caitlin, I love what you're doing. When I went to see a financial advisor, he told me that I had to have at least half a million, maybe a million dollars in assets for him to take me on as a client. And I said to her, I'm like, that's not surprising because the way that financial advisors get paid is typically they take a fee of the investments that they're managing for you on your behalf. And so it doesn't make much sense to take on a client who doesn't have a lot in assets because that means the advisor doesn't get paid very much money. So, um, when she shared that with me, I saw a white space in the market and Mm -hmm. I saw an opportunity because, you know, building wealth isn't necessarily intuitive and it's even harder for a business owner because your business is your baby. So you're so used to reinvesting in the business and 
it's this money hungry machine that will take whatever you give it. And it's really hard for you to carve out your own financial independence from that, from something that you love so much. So what I do is I help women. I tend to work with seven figure entrepreneurs because they're getting into those top tax brackets and they're starting to come into money that can really provide them the opportunity to change their life. Um, but essentially what I help them do is instill habits to start prioritizing their personal financial independence. And, um, the sooner you do that, this is for anybody, you know, whether you're making like a thousand dollars or whether you're making $2 million, um, if you can set up the mechanisms to where you are nurturing your personal financial independence alongside your business, um, that's really going to work out well for you. And the younger you do it, the less of a burden it is, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, because you're talking about compound interest and things like that, right? So that's why it's better. Yes. Yes. Because so what I saw at the bank is, you know, people would come to us and they were 55 or 60 years old and they're like, I, I'm tired from running this business. I need to sell it. And what happens when you go to sell a business is you, so 80% of businesses that are put on the market do not sell. Mm. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure on that one event for people who are banking their retirement on selling their business. Mm. If you, and this is especially important if you have a lifestyle brand or if you have something that's not particularly sellable, it's really important for you to start putting money into a retirement savings vehicle, Mm -hmm. um, a savings account, you know, making sure you have enough in emergency savings, which is typically like three to six months of living expenses. Um, And then if you can go above and beyond that, starting to put money into an investment account. These are all things where... If you're younger, you know, you can start with maybe a few thousand dollars a year versus by the time I'm talking to that 60 year old, I'm saying to him or her, all right, we have to think about putting away like $250,000 a year, mm-hmm. you know, to like $10,000 is much less of a burden than 250,000. So, um, you know, instilling those habits from the day you start your business, um, which is what I did with theory. Like, even though I was break even, I just set up the mechanisms, even if it's just a dollar, um, to be able to start contributing to those different buckets. That seems like super solid advice. Um, and I hope that those who are listening are, are, are making note of it for sure. I definitely am. Well, thank you for all of the solid like financial advice. And I'm really pumped for how theory planning partners helps ladies, you know, set themselves up. And uh, I think that's fantastic. And when you look through kind of the windshield of your life, what do you see coming, coming up? Like what's the billboard that you see? Oh, I love this. The billboard that I see is my mission, which is wealth in the hands of women. Mm. I think we live in this incredible time. Um, and I think a large part of that is due to technology and the internet where there's such a low barrier to entry for starting your own business. And we're seeing more and more women have the ability to start their own businesses, but also live the lives that they want to live. So, you know, if they want to be a mom, if they want to travel around the world, they're able to fulfill those goals 
while running a very successful business. And what that's doing is that's creating opportunities for women to create wealth for themselves. And so, you know, I say to my clients, all I'm doing is harnessing the power of what you're creating. Mm. That's really beautiful. That's well said, honey. (laughs) Thank you. And and I guess, what are you, um, what are you celebrating? What are you tooting your horn about? Tooting my horn about, oh, um, what I'm creating is there's nothing else like it. Um, so, you know, the way that I structured theory is you don't have to have investments. You don't have to have investable assets in order to get access to the sophisticated planning advice that we're offering. Um, and that is something that I have not seen. Um, and it allows me to work with a cohort that is massively underserved. So mm-hmm. I feel very aligned with my mission. Um, it was a long and windy road as we've discussed <laughs> to get here, but I feel grateful that, um, that I got here and that I'm taking action on it. And I think becoming a business owner has really allowed me to let go of that perfection and realize that, um, my mission is bigger than anything else. And so that's, that's really pushing me to step outside my comfort zone and, and just do what needs to be done. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm proud of that. Absolutely. Congratulations to you. Thank you. You're welcome. And if you could, this is my favorite question. Um, if you could go back in time and give a younger you some words of wisdom, how old would you be? And what would you say? Ooh. Okay. That's a good question. Um, if I could go back to my younger self, well, I guess since this is, um, motivated by the drive, I'd go back to when I was 16 and this is really interesting, but my advice to myself would be drink less. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because I'm on the other side of pregnancy now and I don't drink nearly as much as I used to. Um, but I, <laughs> and now that I don't, I'm like amazed at how much I drank before. Um, but I do feel like we have a culture that tends to thrive off of binge drinking. And I feel like if I did a little less of that, <laughs> I probably would be in a, there are probably things that, that would have gone better in some cases. Um, and I feel like now I have an enjoyable relationship with alcohol where if I want to have a drink, I have one. If I don't, I'm fine with that too. And I like being in that place. I actually got that from, I don't know if you read Giselle's book, but she talks about her relationship with alcohol and, um, she's just so much more intentional about her choices and what she puts in her body. And I've really been enjoying that, um, enjoying that type of relationship. So that was just the first thing that came to my mind. I don't know if, (laughs) No, that's so interesting. I've never had that answer before. And that's certainly not the one that I was anticipating. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I've gone through my own journey with alcohol. I used to be a lobbyist and like it, the whole after like lunches afternoon into evening, like there's so much alcohol around and it's totally socialized into all of us. Like drink, drink, drink. And when I stopped drinking so much was due to a fitness competition. I realized how much it, it, I, how much better I feel 
clearer my thoughts are. Like, I feel like alcohol can like steal the spirit. If you know, the positive spirits that are within us, if you drink too much and like, are so often and you don't realize how much you actually can, how you function on alcohol when you're consuming so much. Yes. And it's in the moment, right? So it's like when you're clean of it for a while, like you had to be through pregnancy and then you had that first drink afterwards, it's very powerful, like how it impacts the body and it's not healthy for us at all. (laughs) It's so true though. I mean, it's, it's like you just said, it's so normalized and you know, post-pregnancy, I'm like, wow, I was just casually putting a toxin in my body all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it kind of goes along with the whole theme of, of creating more intention in my life. Um, but yeah, that would be the advice that I would give myself. Um, if I was honestly speaking with myself (laughs) at 16, (laughs) I think, I think that's all. I, I would give myself that advice too. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much for being a guest on Her Drive. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close it down? Um, I would just say that I this mission is so important to me, um, and I am super accessible. So if you go to my website, please feel free to book a call with me. And you know, even if theory is not the right fit for you, I will help you get the right financial advice. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin Carlson, for sharing your wisdom and your story with all of us today. And I look forward to watching your mission expand and make the world a much better place for all of us. Thanks, Cindy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.